This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome everyone. I'm joined today by Mike Middleton, CEO of Marty McFly and a seasoned advertising executive. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Karen, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Fantastic. So, Mike, firstly, the name Marty McFly, how exactly did that come about? And obviously, I I get the reference. I am a a child of the 80s, but to, to name an agency Marty McFly? Yeah, I suppose, you know, my, my background is in marketing and advertising, and that's where I've spent most of my, my career. And uh, and then I decided, I reached a point in my career where I wanted to take a bit of a break and embark on, on an academic journey. So I started studying future studies, um, culminating in my master's in, in future studies. And through that, I decided that I wanted to open a futures consultancy um, with a big focus on regenerative marketing, I suppose, um, to make sure that we're making better decisions today for a brighter tomorrow. And I felt that there was nothing that epitomized that better than Back to the Future and Marty McFly. And that was really why I landed up with that as my company name. Fantastic. What a great backstory. So you recently published your article on talenttalks.net titled, It's Time to Cull Performance Reviews and Other Toxic People Practices. And in there, you refer to these people practices that we currently do as toxic. The question is really why toxic? And essentially, you know, we've, we've always done it this way. So where's the change imperative? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And I suppose there are many reasons I refer to them as toxic uh, at a very tangible level. It is evident through low engagement levels of employees and organizations. Um, Gallup International has been releasing stats for years, stating that 75% of employees are disengaged at work and that as much as a quarter of those that are disengaged are actively disengaged. At the heart of the problem is that organizations have tended to put self-interest ahead of employees and as such have designed their people practices to best serve their interests ahead of anything else. Uh, The consequence is a set of people practices that foster an environment of control. Employees are controlling their employees, so it's an environment of control over ownership, from goal setting to performance reviews, uh, feedback systems, and reward and recognition programs. It's a system that breeds uniformity and inhibits diversity, creativity, and innovation, all of which are necessary to enhance employee engagement and step change company uh, performance. And if corporations truly want to unleash human potential, they must commit themselves to developing it, not just utilizing it. And by developing it, I don't mean putting everyone in the same box and being told to behave in the same way, but to truly embrace the magic of diversity and allow employees to bring skills, knowledge and experience to the company that it may not know that it even needs. And by way of example, I'm going to touch on some of these people practices. If you look at job descriptions, for example, they are based on a preconceived idea on what a company thinks they need and are corrosive to initiative and personal motivation. They don't take into account what an employee can bring to a company or the human ability to adapt to a changing world. Goal setting is rooted in a self-centered view of what a company thinks it needs to accomplish and dictates what each person needs to do to get there. 
it seldom follows an empathic approach of understanding what motivates and excites employees or their inherent creativity and initiative and how this potentially can be of benefit uh, to a corporation. And then, of course, if we look at feedback, which is the pinnacle of the people evaluation process, or a big part of it, at least, is it's often personal. It's often personal projection of the person giving the feedback, encouraging conformity and a single-minded perspective on what the right way of doing things is. It also makes people increasingly dependent on what on others to determine how well they are doing, and undermines self-belief, uh, self-motivation, self-management, and an individual's potential to grow. And then, you know, then looking at performance reviews, and we all have mixed feelings, I suppose, about performance reviews um, and the effectiveness of them. But they are often mechanical, static, one-sided, and steer workers closer to standardized ideals, uh, behaviors, and results, forcing people into a box, inhibiting their ability to creatively and innovatively respond to changing conditions. They also tend to focus on employees' weaknesses, or as we always call them, development areas, rather than celebrating their strengths. And as a consequence of this, they sometimes have the ability, and in fact, many times have the ability to shut people down by being demoralizing, by being diminishing and creating disengagement. Absolutely. And I think for a long time, you know, performance reviews are almost that it's it's that grudge time of the year, isn't it? They're the, the thing in your calendar or the conversation in your calendar that you just have to get done. And mm. if you look at all the all the emails that go around and all the websites that have been set up on how to make them more effective and how to set your goals. It's not It's not traditionally an easy, it's not a practice that actually comes naturally for a lot of us. So it, it is almost this forced process that yeah. we go into and for a lot of times really used to to justify your, your bonus or, or lack thereof. Exactly. And, you know, another reality of them is that you shouldn't really have to do performance reviews because if you are having open and honest conversations with your employees and the people in your team on a regular basis, you shouldn't have to suddenly have a big, big final performance review once a year because people should know exactly where they stand. They should know they should understand how they're performing and nothing should be a surprise. So it shouldn't be one of these events every year that um, that people that terrifies people that that, that they become apprehensive about, um, you know, because it shouldn't be a surprise. It should be something that people are already aware of. And if those conversations were far more open and fluid, you wouldn't really need performance reviews in the first place. And I think that's one of the the key things at at this point, stepping into this hybrid world, I mean, we're not good as as organizations giving immediate feedback or giving feedback at all, and especially constructive feedback. And I think that is going to be compounded by the fact that you know we're we're going to be even further away or we're trying to communicate over virtual means. Do you see this being a, a challenge in future? You mean specifically um, communicating over virtual means? communicating or if we're not good at giving feedback when we're all kind of co-located and together, you know, if we're compounded now by the fact that some of us are, are virtual, some of us are in the office, you know, that that hybrid team model that we're going to step into, do you think that's going to further impact our ability to, to give feedback? If companies carry on in the same way of doing things the way they've always done, absolutely. Um, because, you know, it's very easy. You're not seeing people in person on a regular basis. And as a result of that, it's very easy not to give feedback um, in the moment. But actually, that's just an excuse because we what we should be doing is relooking and rethinking our people practices and organizations to ensure that we are giving more regular feedback 
in the moment and helping develop people to be the best that they can be. Um, I think it's also important, and one thing about feedback is always a concern, is that often feedback is a one-sided affair. It's, it's my perspective on the way that you should be doing something. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right, you know, and I think that we need to rethink feedback as well in the sense of how do we how do we show empathy to the employee and look at how we can bring out the best in them to add the most to the company? Because I, I think so often we think that, you know, people have to think, act, do in a certain way you know, for the company to achieve its results. But we don't think about what people can bring differently to the party to potentially lead to far better results going forward and a more engaged workforce at the same time. Absolutely. And and just turning to our attention, so a lot of what you know what you've said there carries this this undertone very much of the comment that you made in your article, which is I suppose a, a very strong one and, and probably quite a contentious one. And that is that you know organizations need to shift from being psychopaths to empaths. And I'm sure this will make many people uncomfortable. So let's unpack this true meaning behind this. So yeah, so it's it's an interesting you know one, and it is quite a strong statement uh, that. And I'll tell you where the thought came from <clears throat> was a documentary that I was watching called The Corporation. It was released in I don't know two thousand and three or two thousand and four. And in fact, it's just had a sequel that was released at the end of twenty twenty, so November twenty twenty. I think they released the sequel sequel called The New Corporation which unfortunately says that um, things haven't improved significantly. In fact, if anything, they've, got, they've, they've gone backwards rather than, than forwards. And, and the, the core point of these movies where they ask the question is, if corporations were living beings, because legally they are considered to be living beings, what type of personality would they be? So what the answer was in these documentaries was that they would be psychopaths because they impose economic, social, and environmental costs on society in the pursuit of commercial profits and the rules of the game allowed. So that was really the background around, um, around psychopaths. If, if we had to look at some of the background around this, um, it actually goes back 50 years. Milton Friedman, the, the famous Nobel-winning economist, wrote an article in the New York Times in 1970 stating that the sole purpose of business should be to maximize shareholder return and that any other use of shareholders' funds was irresponsible. And this whole mantra was rapidly adopted um, as the new way of being in the work world. And soon shareholders became the heartbeat of an organization directing and influencing all actions and all decision making, often to the detriment of customers, consumers, employees and the environment. Of course, with shareholders being at the center of an organization, their goal was to maximize profits and to minimize costs. And the consequence of this is that it resulted in stagnant wage increases. I think, in fact, on that, the wages have gone up by almost 80% in the 40 years prior to 1970, and then the next 40 years, they went up by about 9%. That was in the US. It resulted in increasing consumer debt, growing consumer debt, as they tried to make up the shortfall in their wage increase or the lack of the wage increases, and but they still wanted to, to increase, to, to meet the um, increases in standards of living, which they had to then borrow money to achieve. It results in growing inequality between the haves and have nots. Uh, we know that just between the, the, the average employee in 1970, the difference between the average employee and the CEO is about 30, 30-fold. Today, it's about 300-fold. On top of that, it's led to unbridled consumerism, destruction of our natural resources, global warming, climate change, and so the list goes on. So we have reached a point where corporations can no longer behave like psychopaths thinking only about themselves, and they really do need to start thinking and behaving like empaths, 
seeking ways to make the world better for employees, customers, consumers, and, and so on. So that was really, um, I know it's a strong statement, but uh, you, we can see it unfolding in the world around us. And, and, I, and I think we're all starting to believe that business should play a bigger role as a force for good to make the world a better place for its people and for the environment. Absolutely. We certainly are seeing that coming through. You know, I think the pandemic has really given us that, that value shift. I think values were shifting before the pandemic hit, but I definitely think, you know, post this, we've, we've definitely entered a period where people have changed. We have a very, we're guided by a very different value system at the moment. Very much so. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank goodness we are. Yeah, Absolutely. Sorry. So, Mike, where have you seen this being done well? So, you know, where have you seen organizations that are embracing, I suppose, a more empathic behavior or stance? It's a very difficult question to answer this because there are a lot of companies that are making efforts in this direction. And, um, and many are claiming to, to start having a more empathic view of their role in society, um, their attitude towards employees, customers, consumers, and so on. But there's also a lot of window dressing on and few are actually making as big an impact and a difference as they make out to be. Now, what's interesting here is that um, John Elkington um, is the man who introduced the triple bottom line in 1995, so 20, what, six years ago. He made a statement, I think it was last year, saying that he is publicly withdrawing the triple bottom line. Okay, now the triple bottom line was obviously, um, you know, people, planet and profit. Mm -hmm. And he said that 25 years after he introduced the triple bottom line to the world, it had become mere window dressing with business leaders moving heaven and earth to hit their profit number, but not applying the same effort to their people and planet's targets. And the consequences of this we are feeling more today than ever. Um, there are organizations such as the B Corporation that are attempting to put certified metrics behind people and planet's targets. And we are seeing organizations increasingly embracing sustainable and regenerative business practices. So the wheel is turning, but um, not fast enough. You know, and I think just on sustainability, one of the, just to make a point on sustainability, and sustainability applies to people practices, um, environment practices, and the whole lot. One of the biggest challenges with sustainable initiatives that, come, that, that, that we're seeing at the moment is that company, it is definitely having a positive impact on the world in the sense that companies are trying to do less damage. But the problem is that they're trying to do less damage rather than more good. So in other words, they're reducing their greenhouse gas emissions, but they're still releasing greenhouse gases. gases. They're still having an impact on global warming. So we actually move, need to move beyond that to regenerative business practices, which actually are looking at making the world a better place that do good, that have a net positive impact rather than a net negative impact. But anyway, what is most important is that employees are preferring to work for companies that are aligned with their values and customers are choosing to spend their money with organizations that are aligned with their values. And their values are that companies need to play a far bigger role in society to make the world a better place. So the consequence is that they are speaking with their hearts, they're speaking with their wallets, they're speaking and they're speaking loudly. So if organizations don't change, they may not have such a prosperous future um, going forward. Absolutely. And we, we see now some of the research coming through that says, you know, more people are really considering job changes at this point than any other point in time, which mm -hmm. is incredibly interesting because, again, just that values driver driver coming through and organizations are going to need to to flex their cultures. And as you say, it's a it's a rethink. It's not it's not a slight tweak in trying to to re just reduce something or try and move slowly in the opposite direction. It is essentially a, a complete rethink about how we do things. 
Completely, yeah. And it has to be a, a complete rethink about the way that we do things because we know that the model that we've been, you know, that we've been engaging with for the last couple of decades has not been has, is not working anymore. And um, and if we carry on the trajectory that we're on, we're going to, you know, we're not going to have a very um, a very nice world to live in for generations to come. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Mike, just as a, a parting note for organisations wanting to make the shift, what advice would you give them? Where do they start? As a start, they need to stop focusing on self-interest and they need to start focusing on human growth. They need to stop caring about themselves and start caring about others. Instead of telling people what to do, they need to define the playing field and allow people to use the power of their creativity to figure solutions out for themselves. Instead of forcing employees to be pattern followers, they need to foster a culture of being pattern generators. A workforce that is made up of people who can see what needs to be done and can creatively make it happen is far more powerful than a workforce that depends on one-way delegation to tell them what to do. My final comment, at least, would also be that the highest source of motivation for employees comes from longing to live a meaningful life and to make a significant contribution to something important. I'd suggest that organizations go back to basics and identify what made them successful in the first place. In other words, to find their purpose, they should use this as their North Star rather than chasing quarterly sales targets. It'll be far more motivating to employees, resulting in surprisingly higher sales, which will also keep their shareholders happy. And I, I say that because you know every organization went into business to solve some consumer need, and the consequence of what they did resulted in revenue generation and profit. And, and somehow we've moved into a world that we've become so into this pattern of chasing quarterly sales targets that we've actually forgotten why we exist in the first place. And people are so much more generated by knowing they're making a positive impact in the world than they are just by chasing a, a quarterly sales target, knowing that they're making a couple of shareholders very wealthy and the rest of the world, and then growing inequality with the rest of the world. An example, by the way, of a company that does this exceptionally well is Patagonia, the American outdoor clothing and apparel company. Patagonia is driven by the, the purpose to use business to inspire and, and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. In fact, I think they've evolved that now to say that their purpose is to end you know global warming so it's become very specific in that space which is a big ask for a company a clothing company but in pursuit of this purpose they make timeless clothing that doesn't need to be replaced regularly they repair clothes for free they share they, they share the blueprints for environmentally friendly materials with their competitors they will take back clothes at the end of their life cycle to be recycled and they partner with ebay to enable the reuse of their clothing through secondhand um, buying and selling patagonia does acknowledge of course that making money is important because the more money they make the more that they can actually pursue their purpose and the more they pursue their purpose the greater the impact they can have on the world as a consequence they will not sacrifice the, pur the pursuit of their purpose for enhanced financial gain yet their pursuit of this purpose has created an extremely loyal employee base and customer base that share the same ethos, values, and vision. And this has made them one of the most desirable employers in the world and one of the most desirable brands in the world, which has had a far bigger impact on their growth and revenue performance than if they had followed a finite mindset blindly chasing um, those sales targets that I spoke about earlier. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that we're going to have to really get to grips with and digest, you know, by committing to to being more empathic in business does not mean that you're taking anything away from the bottom line. If anything, it's actually going to to stand you in far better footing uh, in years to come yeah. than should you continue on your trajectory.
Well, that's that's exactly it. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where not an either or, as, as a lot of CEOs seem to see it. They seem to think that their people and their planet's targets they are going to take away the ability to deliver the revenue target. Whereas actually, it works the other way around. If employees, they'll get the best employees, and they will, and customers will want to purchase their products because they know that they are actually making a positive impact on the world. So it actually has a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end of the day, and and it, it creates a virtuous cycle upwards, where not only are you benefiting people and planet, but you're actually benefiting the shareholders as well. Absolutely. Fantastic. Mike, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our time together today. Looking forward to our future sessions and your future articles. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lovely chatting to you.